this is the On The Touchline podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater. Welcome to the show. Hey, I need your help. Before we get going with this episode of On The Touchline, I want more and more people in the soccer community to find out about this show on their favorite podcasting platform. So stop what you're doing and subscribe. That way, you get new episodes of this show every Wednesday and every Saturday. If you listen on Apple Podcast, hit pause. Go there now and leave a five-star rating and a review of the show. Help me continue to broaden the audience for what we're trying to do with On the Touchline. Okay, you can hit play now. In this episode, episode 17 of On the Touchline, I talked to Patty LaBella. Patty is a marketing writer and sports reporter from Southern California. She covers the U.S. Women's National Team and National Women's Soccer League, NWSL, for Access.com and the women's game. Patty is currently credentialed with FIFA as well as U.S. Soccer. Patty is one of the co-hosts of the Women's World Football Show podcast and has interviewed guests such as Julie Foudy, Carly Lloyd, Brandi Chastain, Brianna Scurry, among others. If you've ever read or heard Sally Jenkins from the Washington Post, Patty reminds me a lot of her. Patty's a very thoughtful, intelligent, nuanced reporter with a pulse on the women's game. I refer to her in this episode as a walking encyclopedia of knowledge. Part of why I wanted to have Patty on the show is to showcase some of that knowledge she has of the women's game and her experience covering the women's game to you, the listener. We talk about what got her into covering women's soccer, the state of the women's game in the U.S., and also have some fun when we play a little bit of a game where I ask her to mention the first thing that comes to mind when I name a famous women's soccer player. I think you'll enjoy some of her responses to those questions. I hope you enjoy my conversation with my guest in episode 17 of On the Touchline, Patty LaBella. <laughs> First and foremost, thank you for what you are doing for the game of soccer and for women in the game of soccer. So um, you have my admiration uh, for that because um, we need more strong advocates for our game uh, and for the women's side of the game. So so thank you for that. Um, but I think it's important for folks who don't know about your work and, um, you know, kind of what you do uh, about your backstory and how you got into podcasting and sort of what drew you to the game of soccer, um, you know, as a, as a sport that you fell in love with and have covered and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Oh, well, first of all, thank you for what you do, because you have um, a very interesting podcast and it's very thoughtful and thought provoking and you're doing something that not a lot of people are doing. And that's always great. Right? It's very creative and it shows another side to this journey that we're all on, kind of. Um, well, thanks. But um, I'm, I'm a marketing copywriter by trade. I've been in marketing for over 20 years, but I always had kind of an affinity for sports. And in about the mid-2000s, I think I, I started doing a lot of freelance writing, covering high school sports in the Orange County area, Southern California, where I'm from. And you, and you know, Jason, uh, newspapers are changing at that time, starting to get their information sources, online forms, and things like that. Local papers just didn't have the budget or the staff to cover you know, some of those other sports like uh, golf, tennis, soccer, anything other than basketball. So, um, so I started doing that and then um, I kind of moved away from high school sports and I started covering um, more fringe sports like surfing, skateboarding here in Southern California. Uh, a lot of the high schools have surf teams. Uh, so I covered X games for many years, ASP surf tournaments, US Open of surfing. Um, again, the sports that, you know, the, those newspapers just didn't have the staff or budgets to cover. And then around um, 2011, I think, uh, I think it was 2011, the U.S. Women's National Team were in town. I believe it was, well, it was 2011, so it was World Cup year. So they were preparing for 
the World Cup that year. They were at the National Training Center here in Southern California, what was once called Home Depot Center, where the LA Galaxy play. Um, and they had a friendly. So I kind of looked at the roster. And at the time, you know, there were a few Southern California locals on the team. Uh, I think, uh, my memory, <laughs> I think Shannon Box, Amy Rodriguez, Rachel Butler, uh, Rachel Bueller, excuse me. Um, so I, you know, I saw those and I thought, well, you know, that probably be a good angle to spotlight some of these SoCal locals. Um, so I went to, uh, got my credentials and walked into the press box and uh, I was astonished basically because here you had this crazy scene of 20,000 plus fans, you know, out of their head, crazy, every, you know, crazy every time Hope Solo touched the ball or Abby Wambach scored, just lost their minds. And I look around the press box and there's like maybe a half a dozen uh, reporters there like <laughs> no coverage. I mean, it was astonishing to me. I mean, I came from the action sports where, I, you know, even at X Games, you'd be like elbow to elbow in the press box um, covering skateboarders. Um, I covered the spring, spring training games for many years and same thing, you'd be elbow to elbow in these little, these press boxes that are just full size press boxes. But to, to see that contrast, and it really kind of stuck in my craw a little. It's like, where, where's, Where's the coverage? Of the, you know, this is the most popular women's sports in this country, uh, most popular team in the world, the U.S. Women's National Team. And um, actually, was, I, I um, was talking to a reporter there. I remember he was, uh, uh, wrote for one of the big newspapers in L.A. And he was a baseball writer. And he was like, and he told me, he opened my eyes. He's like, yeah, he's like, we, there's just, they just don't, it's, they just don't have the staff or the budget to send people, you know, to cover this team. And, and so he would petition, even though he was a baseball writer, he would petition to cover the U S women's national team. And he still does today, but I, um, it just blew my mind. So I was like, well, um, I made a commitment that, you know, I was just going to keep covering this team. You know, I don't want to, um, um, mislead you or anything i'm not like the only one that was astonished i mean there's like there were reporters there but like i said that were that were writers for other sports but they made a commitment to petition their editors to cover this team because they knew that this is a viable product right so why aren't why aren't they getting the publicity that they need so um so from that time on i kind of like put the action sports thing down and uh, and covered soccer. In 2013, when the NWSL kicked off, I was freelancing for an online paper called examiner.com, which is no longer around, unfortunately. But again, I petitioned my editor to cover the league exclusively for examiner.com. Um, and at the time he was like, well, it's like, we already have a writer covering the league. And I was like, really, who's that? And so he told me her name and I'm like, well, she's, I know her, she's on the East in New England. I'm on the West Coast, I'm in Southern California. So what if I cover the West Coast teams? You know, she can cover the East Coast teams. And, and he came back to me and he's like, you know, that's a great idea. He had no idea there was like two teams on the West Coast, right? Seattle and Portland. <laughs> so he was like thinking mm -hmm. that was a great idea. But I, you know, I had it in my head. I was just gonna cover the whole league. <laughs> you know, I wasn't gonna limit myself just to two teams. So I did that and um, started writing for the NWSL, um, or just started writing for examiner.com covering the NWSL and then, and then the U S women's national team whenever I could. Um, so that's kind of got me rolling, um, as far as like covering soccer exclusively. Um, and you know, I was always a big soccer fan. I, I went to the 1999 women's world cup here at the Rose bowl, uh, USA versus China. And, and I felt that energy. I was just waiting for this team to like break out you know I thought that was going to be the thing and of course you know it's two leagues later we're in our third league professional league um uh, they believe where they're going into the seventh season now it's um so it's it's taking off slowly you know and um and I'm just uh happy to be part of it uh I, I I started a Twitter feed just to give you an idea of how popular these um and I'm sorry if I'm rambling on you, you asked me one question and I ran taking up all your space but <laughs> no go ahead I, I love it yeah I know I but love um it. I um I started a Twitter um account just for the NWSL for um examiner and I called it N NWSL examiner within a year 
I had almost 6,000 followers and just for me, you know, and I'm not anything special, you know, I'm not a great, great writer or anything. And, you know, just because people were so hungry for content, I found that, you know, just sharing content, um, having that, like, um, you know, that culture of, uh, you, you know, you can share my articles, I'll share your articles. And, you know, it's just, so I, I always get, um, <laughs> my co-host on my podcast, Women's World Football Show, Adam Barlow, he always gives me a, a little bit of heckling because I always say soccer, women's soccer is, there's a culture of kindness that goes through it. But I, I think that that's just the perfect analysis because I've never, I've been into a lot of press boxes, I've been in a lot of sports and covered a lot of different sports, but I've never had that experience where everybody is so nice. I mean, from the, from the ushers in the, in the stadiums to fans, to the media people that we meet, to the players, um, to the coaches. I mean, I just, I can't say enough about it. I, I love, I love covering sport because of that. You know, sometimes, especially coming from high school uh, sports where coaches are a little bit high on the hog and then they get a little full of themselves and then baseball too. I can even, I can give you all kinds of stories of being in the press box as a woman um, in a baseball setting, uh, you know, but women's soccer is just another world. It's, it's fantastic. Everybody I meet is just, is unbelievably nice. And, and I wanted to kind of extend that on Twitter. Sometimes we tend to get a little um, brass, you know, on Twitter we see there's a lot of curmudgeons, <laughs> but uh, I feel like those are few and far between because when you start like really getting to know the people, and it's it just becomes really a, a nice atmosphere. And the way I met my my podcast partner Adam Barlow was he was writing for a sports magazine in in England, and every time he would write a story, it didn't even matter if it was soccer or or bicycling or cricket or whatever he's got over there. Uh, I would always share it on my Twitter feed, and then the same whenever I wrote a story on the NWSL, whatever he'd always share it. And and so we had like this friendship just through Twitter. And then one day, one day I interviewed, uh, I want to say maybe it was um, Julie Foudy, I want to say, somebody like that. I interviewed her. And, you know, within the context of examiner.com, an online newspaper, you know, you can only write, um, you know, 700 words at the most. So I had all this extra audio left over. And I was like, what am I going to do with all this extra audio? And I found out that I was I had um, a lot of extra audio when it came to uh, women's soccer players. They just talked um, and shared their stories so freely. I think Shannon Box was another one who I had so much content. I, I just kind of dawned on me one day. I was like, well, maybe I can put this out on a podcast or some type of audio. So I was, I was talking to Adam, uh, direct messaging, and I, and I just mentioned it to him. I said, have you ever thought about doing a podcast? And and he's like, yeah, you know, I always want to do a podcast, but I don't know how to do it. And I'm like, well, I don't know how to do it. <laughs> Let's get on Google and figure it out. Uh, and, <laughs> and the thing that we, there were a few podcasts at the time when we started it in 2013, October 2013 was our first show. Um, uh, Keeper Notes in out of Texas, Jen Cooper's podcast, uh, Woso Zone was out at that time. But they were very um, limited to like the locale. Um, Keeper Notes was was talking a lot about the Texas, local Texas soccer. Um, so, I, you know, it was our idea really to kind of let's cover everything, you know, because we were young and dumb. We were like, <laughs> yeah, we could do it all. So we started, you know, kind of researching. And, and I think to this day, we're the only really uh, women's soccer podcast that covers all all leagues, all countries, you know, all clubs you know, we try to get interviews with everybody from all over the world, really. And that's was our goal in the beginning. And it still is, you know, and it's pretty cool. So well, I I was going to say for uh, for folks listening to this, um, if they go through your guest list of uh, of folks that you've had on the show, uh, players and, and people in the game, uh, it, it's pretty impressive. <laughs> it's, it's pretty damn impressive, Thanks. actually. Um, you know, because you were you, you mentioned, you know, Julie Foudy and, you know, there's other uh, former national team players and, you know, international players and, and things of that nature. And, um, you know, it's sort of a who's who. And I was going, whoa, like, I just... wow. I mean, you, you guys have gotten connected to some, you know, some really fantastic people. And uh, I, I love that. And so, you know, I, I guess maybe to transition slightly, you know, what would you say is the 
the state of the women's game here in the United States. And so I look at it, you know, from the lens of a, uh, of a mm-hmm. youth coach. And, um, you know, I, I'm working in the, you know, what is considered like the academy level and, you know, currently coach a, a boys team. My son happens to be on that boys team, but have worked with, you know, young female players and, um, you know, have, have been around a number of female college athletes, female soccer players in college. Uh, you know, they're, I don't know, it, it seems more enticing for a young female player to go the college route and then maybe get picked up by the NWSL or to go internationally then or to maybe, you know, get in the national team conversation for whatever country they're from. Um, Whereas for a male, not that playing college soccer is, you know, not prestigious, Mm -hmm. but the prestige of that is definitely seemed to have been knocked down just because that path for a male is very, I don't want to say very different, but it just feels different. Um, and so what would you say is the, the state of our game, you know, when it comes to uh, the, the female side? Yeah, it's pretty interesting that you say that. I think that we're at a crossroads right now in this country um, as far as the um, path that young players have to go to the pros. Um, first of all, we're seeing a lot of leagues, international leagues pop up that a lot of players are going to. Um, Sweden, Italy, um, Iceland has a great league. We're seeing a lot of people go play in Iceland and then come back into the NWSL. Uh, uh, Ukraine, Russia, China, Japan. Um, You know, so it's pretty interesting that we're at this point right now. But, you know, in the old days, and I would say the old days, like maybe like four or five years ago, the regular path would be, yeah, you play your high school, you play your comp team, um, ODP, uh, you go to college, and then hopefully you get, you know, into that next step of playing professional at some league somewhere in the world. Um, You know, the best thing you'd like to to do is go to the NWSL, but, you know, we've seen like college draft days, you know, you've got a pool of 400 players and 38 players get picked. Um, But, you know, something strange happened a few years ago with uh, Lindsay Horan, uh, the midfielder for U.S. Women's National Team. She uh, she was a phenom in Colorado and was playing on the semi-pro league, the Colorado Pride, I think, when she was like 12. So everybody was waiting for her to go out into college. She had her basically her pick of colleges, full-ride scholarships to any college she wanted to go to. And she did something that we very rarely see at this level. Uh, she said, meh you know, college isn't for me, I'm going to go play uh, professional. So she went off and played in the French league at um, PSG. And, you know, it was like, what? (laughs) It was like, uh uh-oh, you know, Uh, a lot of people didn't want her to do that. Um, I I, I actually interviewed her um, when she came back to the States from PSG. And she said, uh, it, it was hard, you know, people were telling her how wrong she was for doing that. And that's just not the way you do it. Um, but uh, she had the courage to do it. And then we saw another player from Colorado do the same thing, Mallory Pugh. You know, she went, uh, I think she was a little uh, pressured to kind of sign that, sign on that uh, a letter of commitment with uh, UCLA. And when she got there, I think she was there maybe not even half a semester. And she's like, no, this isn't for me. I'm, I'm going pro. Uh, so now it's one of those things where um, the path is changing. And that's why I say it's a crossroads. I've interviewed quite a few college coaches over the years, but this past year, every time I had a a college coach on the show, I would ask them that question, you know, is it, is college soccer hurting or helping our, our young female players? What we saw um, this year with the U-17 Women's World Cup and the U-20 Women's World Cup where USA, you know, usually usually USA is dominant, but they were just, uh, they were exposed. I mean, they were just beaten by these other teams and get out of the group stages. Uh, uh, And, you know, so we kind of put a spotlight on that. Is that because all of these players are college players? And then you're looking at a, a team like England and France and Spain. And these players, even though they're the same age, they're playing professionally already because a lot of those countries, they have different paths to the pros and it doesn't include college a lot of times. So, of course, every college coach I talked to said the same thing. Or, you know, no, college is still the viable way to go because you have you know, the best training facilities, you have the best coaches, 
um, this is the way that you can get groomed to playing professionally. Um, now I think that it's, it's one of those things where it's going to be uh, players are going to be judged individually. Not everybody's a Lindsay Horan who can just pick up at 18 years old and go over and play in France. Don't know the language, you know, very foreign atmosphere for her. Um, and just, uh, just be concentrating on uh, improving skills and improving the things that she needs to improve on sitting in a classroom and then doing, you know, five days of training a week and all the other restrictions that NCAA has on players. It's, it's not going to work for everybody, but, um, but it, but it is now, I think it's becoming more of an option to see these young players. Um, and, and some young players who don't even finish college. I mean, uh, we just saw Tierna Davidson, uh, you know, the Stanford great midfielder and playing with the U S women's national team. Now she, she foregoed her, her senior year to, go uh, into the NWSL college draft. So she's like, well, I'll finish my senior year at some other time. It's pretty interesting that we're seeing this. So I think it's, I think in a few years, we're going to, we're going to see a little bit more of that too. I think But you know, the question is, you know, is college still a viable path? I think it is just for those reasons, you know, for having the great training facilities and the great coaches, coaching staffs that they have. Um, I don't think every, every teenager is going to want to go off and, and head on over to France or England or Czechoslovakia or wherever, you know, it's going to be more sure. of a choice. Yeah. Though. Yeah. Well, I, something that I talk about often is, um, you know, for a, a male or female and you know, every circumstance is, is different, but knowing that, um, you know, people really have and largely the ability to carve out their mm-hmm. own path. And, and in some cases, uh, the collegiate game is the best fit for them. And uh, in other cases, it might be, you know, like you said, going abroad or, um, I don't know, you know, leaving college early or, or something like that. I mean, there's no necessarily one way to do it only, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that more, more and more people are figuring that out. And, uh, you know, some folks are, I think, even getting, uh, getting creative, um, you know, in, in that regard. So, um, so something just kind of in, in preparing for our, our conversation. So I've been fascinated by, I guess I would call them sort of social justice issues that some of the women on the U.S. women's national team have uh, have raised mm-hmm. at different times. And, uh, you know, folks know uh, Hope Solo uh, obviously has been at sort of the, the forefront, a lot of that. And I'm curious and folks that you've talked to when it comes to things like, you know, equal pay, um, equal treatment when it comes to, you know, uh, training facilities or, um, you know, flights or, you know, some, some of the other things that they've discussed or whatever of what has been, you know, has it come up in your conversations or sort of what has been, you know, from your vantage point of, you know, what are you hearing? What are you seeing? Uh, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Well, the the fight never ends, really. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty interesting. And, and and for the U.S. women's national team, they've been at the forefront about all that, you know. And in the early two thousands, we saw uh, that team kind of fight the federation for things like childcare. Uh, one, uh, let me think. Who, who was the player? Who, oh, Christine Rampone had, um, you know, kids. And they needed childcare, and so mm-hmm. uh, Joy, Joy, actually, um, Joy Fawcett. It was before Rampone. Joy Fawcett was the first uh, national team player to actually started having a family while she was still playing, and needed childcare. And that was one of the things that they went to the federation for. So it's always been about um, just like regular workplace, uh, you know, accommodations that you would you would expect in any really workplace, especially where you're traveling so much. Um, the equal pay. Uh, that's uh, that's a fight that they continue to fight. Um, the, in, in order to have leverage for that, though, they they need to create um, the they need to continue to have le- success. And that's the thing that the U.S. Women's National Team have always been very prideful about is that as long as they have success, then they've they've uh, you know they've got some leverage there. And so it's it's always a fight. And and all the players that I talk to, especially like the 99ers, like the Brandy Chastains and the Julie Foudy's and the Brown Scurries and those type of people, they'll, they'll always say, you know, it's, 
it's just it's a constant constant fight and now you know and, and even to the point where now it's you know like playing conditions and and turf and and all those things uh we're seeing uh some discrepancy away from the national team like in new jersey with sky blue you know a lot of the things that came out about their training facilities and the the deplorable conditions of their you know having to travel and 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 what they have to deal with on a on a day-to-day basis so that came out last year and that's something we don't want to want to see but but the thing that I love about the national team and I think that those the players will say it too is that it's kind of spilt over like we've seen like the women in Denmark stand up for equal pay we've seen the Australians you know the the Australians a few years ago the Matildas they said they had a a couple friendlies lined up with the U.S. they knew it was going to be huge for them they basically boycotted it because of um because of pay uh there we've seen teams that have gone through the world cup without pay you know we've seen uh teams like spain that stand up um to the to their federation and and so it's kind of like a little domino effect when you see all these other countries new zealand is another team that stood up to their federation that that they have the the um i guess the the guts or, you know, the wherewithal to say, you know what, we're worth it. We're, we're a viable um, part of this sport. We're creating revenue and, and we expect to be treated exactly the same as the men's team. Why not? You know, and especially in the U S the U S you know, that uh, they're bringing in on an average of like 23,000 plus fans uh, or supporters, you know, for friendly games with the U S men, you know, and, there were a couple of games uh, over the years that they brought in like maybe 5,000, 8,000. Uh, even though there was recently a report that the, both of the revenues have gone down for both teams. And I think that that happens when there's a little bit of a lull. You know, I think that this year's a Women's uh, World Cup year. We'll see that boost, the revenue boost up again. Um, but yeah, I think that that's the main talking point is that even though there's a lot of work to do and there's still more to fight for, in way of equal pay and equal playing conditions and those type of things, it they've seen it kind of spill over into the, uh, these other countries and these other national teams. So there's a reward there, but the fight never stops. There's always something, you know, unfortunately. But. Yeah, yeah. Well, the uh, the old line that I, I use from time to time that, um, you know, a, a rising tide lifts mm. all boats and that, uh, you know, especially when it comes to something like this. And if, um, you know, women on the, uh, the national team here in the States are noticing that the men are getting uh, certain treatment or certain amenities or whatever, I mean, you know, and if nothing else, I mean, I, the women can dangle the uh, mm-hmm. success card over, uh, over, over the men any day, and, right? Yeah, so, and they do often. So. I know the fans do. <laughs> you know, it's always, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. three stars. Can't argue that, but I I like that analogy that that's really good. That's perfect. Hey guys, it's Jason. Don't run away. I got a quick word from our sponsor Flipboard. I'm going to say a few names of, um, you know, some famous U S players. And uh, if you don't mind, uh, the first thing that comes to mind when, when I say their name, uh, and it, whatever it is, um, you're, you're free to, to be as, uh, explicit as you need to be, or is, uh, as kind as you need to be. So, uh, there, there, you know, no restrictions. Uh, so if I, if I say the name Hope Solo. Entertaining is the word that comes to me. I know people are, she's very polarizing, either lover or hater, but I've always liked her. You know, there's something about her that I always like. Um, she says it like it is. Uh, I've interviewed her a few times in the scrum, like post game, and she's very amicable. She's very friendly, and you just never know what she's going to say. And as a press person, we love that, right? Um, I think she's mm-hmm. arguably, arguably the best female goalkeeper ever. <laughs> you know, I mean, she's old school. She's very. Uh, I mean, her, her reflexes are uh, unbelievable. Um, she's not as big as you might think. I think she's only like 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, um, but she just had a presence about her. You know, I, I miss those old school goalkeep- goalkeepers. You know, those old like, oh, they just look like they're good. They can tear you to pieces. 
you know, we don't see those yeah. anymore. I can, I can mention a bunch of old timers, uh, like Anadia or uh, uh, Nadine Anger, Karina LeBlanc, even Aaron McLeod, you know, they just have that look of steel, like, oh, like you don't want to run into them in a dark alley, right? <laughs> and that's, that's Hope Solo. So well, even though she's polarizing, I, there's still a, I still have, I have a hope, I have Hope Solo in my heart. <laughs> we, uh, my wife and I, we had our, our third child in September of last oh. year. And uh, she's a, a, a baby girl. And uh, we, <laughs> thank you. Um, we, we named her Hope. And uh, Patty, I can't tell you how many people asked us and my sister, my sister-in-law, who I'll be very honest, she knows very little about soccer and, and that's okay. She's, she's a baseball family. Um, but she said to me, she goes, uh, so Hope is named after Hope Solo, right? And I'm like, well, yeah, we'll go with that. Um, that's not, not really the reason, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. So, uh, and, and I'm with you. I, I would say mm -hmm. badass um, would be how I would describe her. And it's exactly what you said that, I mean, to command the keeper position the way she did uh, was fun to watch. And, um, you know, I, I even use her as, ex as an example to my son who, you know, at the U10 level, we're rotating players through keeper and other positions mm -hmm. or whatever. But when he's back there, I mean, to, you know, say, Hey, like she had a presence about her and she was uh, something to be reckoned with. Yeah. So, um, how, how about Mia Hamm? Uh, legend. I mean, I, when you even said her name, I just smiled. I just, you know, she's, there'll never be another Mia Hamm, you know, and I, and I, and not just the, the player on the pitch, but I think off the pitch as well. I mean, she's so smart. Um, she's given so much of her life to the game. I have to say, Jason, she's the one player that I've tried to get on that I've failed, but I'm still still trying. <laughs> I'm still trying. I'm yeah. still trying to get her on the show. And I, I tell Adam all the time, I said, when we get me a ham on the show, I'm going to do a mic drop. I'm just going to walk out because that's going to be my, my... <laughs> no, she's just she's a hero I, I, in so many ways, you know, just really um, I, I can't say enough about her and what she's done for the game, what she continues to do for the game, you know, and her story's not done yet. I mean, you, you know, we've been always, you know, we've been talking about LAFC and she's part of that ownership group. And, and of course the things that she did in Italy as well, you know, as an owner. Um, so I, so I've, you know, if the NWSL comes to LA, I'm, I'm sure she'll be a big part of it. So I have told folks that my current favorite uh, U S women's national player is Tobin mm. Heath. So, uh, <laughs> Tobin Heath, uh, what comes to mind? Uh, growth, I think. I think early in Tobin's career, I wasn't a big fan of hers because I thought she was all flash. You know, I was like, mm, unimpressed. You know, she can do all this fancy footwork, but when it comes to being a team player, I just didn't see it. But um, this past couple of, couple of years, and I actually talked to her about it um, once she's just become more of a team player. She's learned how to, how to take her skills, her individual skills and really, um, meld it in to the rest of the team. And for that now I'm, I'm a Tobin Heath fan where I wasn't before, but I just see her. She's, she's just grown so much over the years. And I give her a lot of credit for that because she didn't have to, I mean, she was good on her own, you know? Um, and she had a great fan base on her own, you know, the kids love her, the kids want to emulate her. But to take all of that now, now I think she's a complete player just because she's been able to change her game and to be more in inclusive with her teammates. And that's something we see with the Thorns and also on the U.S. Women's National Team. So she's, she's very intricate to this team success, I think, because of that. So here's, uh, here's one that's a little bit old school. Uh, Michelle Akers. <laughs> Mufasa. Yeah. Uh <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's an anomaly isn't she she continues to um uh you know she comes from that 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 99er team that still to this day to me even you know with the 2015 team there's this kind of mystique to them you know and uh michelle Akers has that and also she's a voice for um an advocate for women's soccer and women's soccer players and also for the work that she does with um horses and um, um, therapy animals and, and, that, and that kind of stuff. So um, I just, you know, I just, 
I think Michelle Akers will, will go down as legendary in a lot of lot of ways, but even after her soccer career, and she's still making the news. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so the, the coach of that team was Tony mm-hmm. DiCicco, and uh, I don't know if anything comes to mind when I say his name. Uh, I think he was the leader, you know. He was the leader of that team, especially in, in, in the 90s. And there was so much respect. You know, I didn't know um, Tony as a coach. I knew him as media. Like, I would see him in the press box and stuff later on. But from the players that I spoke to that were coached by him, that's how I kind of judge him. And all of them are just revere him. You know, there was a big sense of loss when he passed away. And um, any player that you talk to or any player I've talked to who's coached by him just just glow. I mean – you know, they respected him so much and, and they know that what he did for that team was out of love. You know, sometimes you have these coaches or people who kind of ride the backs of certain players and or certain teams, you know, try to uh, whatever, you know, individual uh, thing they have going on. But for Tony, it was all about the team. You know, it was all about the, the federation organization and the fans, too. I think they did a lot for for their supporters. So, yeah, any player you talk to is coached by Tony and Bill. You can just see it in their eyes how much they respect him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, l- last one. I, I wish I could do this all day, I suppose. <laughs> but uh, 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 l- last one. So, Car- uh, Carly Lloyd. I would say misunderstood is a word that, that I think of when I think of Carly Lloyd. Again, I love Carly Lloyd. I'm a huge fan. Um, I think she's the GOAT. Uh, she definitely has that little chip on her shoulder, and a lot of people are kind of put off by that now. They're like, you know, you're two-time player of the year, you know, uh, World Cup hat trick, you know, you're the best player, and, and yet here you are with, a, you know, with this chip on your shoulder. And so I think people get kind of tired of that, and they think it's an act, but um, I don't think it's an act. I think, it, I think she's just one of those players like, like a Tom Brady who just has to continue to prove himself, even if it's in their own mind, you know. But um, – to watch Carly Lloyd and to be around Carly Lloyd, she does have a very larger than life presence. Um, um, again, I think she's kind of polarizing and, and I don't understand it to be honest with you, because, you know, she's one of the, she's one of the greats who go down in history and uh, personality wise. Yeah. She's got a little chip on her shoulder. Um, yeah. She doesn't really seem like she's um, a, a team player like she's more in, interested in her own uh records or things like that but uh, all i have to say is if uh if you want to know carly lloyd just like hope solo go read their books because you really get an understanding mm-hmm. of their personalities and where they come from and you know not everybody reaches this level there's a reason why some and this is another reason why i love doing the podcast too to, just to talk to these players is that there's a reason why these players are where they are these individuals it's not that that you know that that they're any that much better than somebody else but there's something that's inside of them that that has molded them that have brought them to where they are right now and uh so that, that again sorry i'm rambling but <laughs> that's when i think about carly lloyd and hope solo are kind of the same to me because they are polarizing and um but if you really want to know who they are read their books because it explains a lot I remember during the last uh, Women's World Cup, so um, my family and I, we were on vacation and my wife, uh, so my in-laws, my wife's family uh, were there and uh, she took the kids and she went with her mom and dad somewhere. And uh, I was the only one in the condo at the beach uh, watching, I don't remember if it was the, it may have been the final or the semifinal. Anyway, it was when Carly Lloyd, Carly, Carly Lloyd, scored the goal from like mm. midfield and uh <laughs> so there i am in the condo by myself uh patty i lost my friggin' mind um <laughs> and i'm sure the people around us were wondering what the heck was happening because uh you know I, I i don't know if too many other people on the on the floor we were at the place we were staying at um you know were watching the match or whatever and uh so they came back i think they went to get ice cream or something and they came back and they said uh you know, what's going on? And I'm like, you, 
no, you won't believe what happened. I mean, I, I felt like, um, I don't know if you remember the, the baseball uh, commentator. Um, so uh, Jack uh-huh. Buck for uh, the, you know, St. Uh-huh. Louis Cardinals. And he had this sort of, you know, famous line in one of his calls one time of, you know, I can't believe what I just saw or something like that. And I, th- that's exactly what I felt like, you know, and I was sort of on cloud nine because at that point, you know, I mean, things were, were looking really good that they were going to see it through and, you know, be uh, be World Cup champions. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think um, I, I agree with you about Carly Lloyd. I, I think misunderstood is a very very good way to describe her and I you know having never interviewed her um, you know other than following her on social media I I agree with you and the thing you said about Tom Brady was really interesting to me because leading up to the uh, the AFC championship uh, a day or so ago um, a couple days ago whenever it was uh, that you know basically he's finding ways having done this for you know, 20 some years or whatever to motivate mm-hmm. himself. And then, um, you know, this whole mentality of like, people haven't sort of accepted us as being, you know, some of the best of all time or whatever. And I agree with you. And I am absolutely fascinated by the psychology of an athlete, because it's exactly what you said, Patty, that there's a lot of really talented athletes, but the ones who make it and the ones who have that sort of staying power and that, you know, kind of that ment- mental, if you want to call it killer instinct or, uh, you know, that voice inside their head or whatever. I mean, that absolutely fascinates me. And part of that is a coach, you know, how to get players to tick and to, to motivate them. But to see it on the professional level, I mean, yeah. you know, every, everybody on that roster is talented. There isn't one player on the roster mm-hmm. that isn't talented. So, you know, how do people differentiate themselves and sort of, you know, uh, uh, separate themselves that way and um yeah the the mental training it's fascinating is, <laughs> it I mean, really that, is yeah it really yeah that, you know yeah. i stopped asking that question um, because i kept getting the same answer on of what, what makes you special over this other kid who may have worked just as hard and they all say the same thing it's like sacrifice like i didn't go to school dances i didn't go to the movies with my friends i was out kicking the ball when my you know when the prom was on and you know you have to make that decision are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? And, but you're like, you're saying, well, it takes a certain wiring to be able to do that. And a lot of alone time, um, I would imagine a, a lot of introspective, I, there has to be some type of uh, study somewhere <laughs> because it is really fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's still like, well, what makes you not want to go to prom when your other, when your friends are going, you know, what makes you get up at you know four o'clock in the morning to hit a ball against and and the thing with that Carly Lloyd goal that you were talking about you know and this is another thing that gets uh Carly a chip on her shoulder and she said in the past that you know that wasn't a fluke that's something she practiced and practiced and practiced in that little blue shed of hers out in uh in New Jersey you know where she trains and it's like that's Mm -hmm. something that's not a fluke that's something that she spends hours and hours and hours practicing um, so yeah, I, that little doubt, or uh, the little, the doubters, this thing that, that Tom Brady has, feeds off of like a monster, like anybody tells him, you know, you're too old or it's, they're saying that to Carly Lloyd too, you know, you're a bench player, you know, your, your change, your role is changing because you're too slow or whatever. That's going to feed her like a monster. She's going to come out in 2019 <laughs> world cup and, and she's going to turn it on guaranteed. <laughs> So uh, a good segue. Uh, what's uh, what are your thoughts for the uh, the 2019 uh, World Cup? And given that you know there have been I think two friendlies that have happened within the last few days, and uh, you know I guess the the France match wasn't uh, you know people were losing <laughs> their mind on social media. It was kind of it actually made me laugh a little bit. Um, yeah, everybody yeah. <laughs> take a deep breath. You know it's gonna be okay uh and I, I guess i didn't see today's match but i guess it was uh it was better for mm-hmm. the women um but what do you what do you think is going to happen uh when the uh, the u.s women go to france uh this summer well they have a good group i think they'll get out of the group just fine uh but yeah there are teams now that are going to um that they are competing with you know women's soccer is improving and, and other teams are catching up to them uh, that's why it worries me more on the youth level, on the U17, U20 side, when we see those out in the group stage um, of those World Cups. 
But I think for the senior team, there's so much depth and there's so much talent on this team. And Jill Ellis really has the creme, creme de la creme as far as like picking formations and things that she wants to do. Uh, I'm not really worried about it. I think that that's this France, this past France uh, friendly, you know, these French players are in the middle of their season in the French league and the U S players are basically on, you know, just came off of a long break. So they're not in uh, as fit as they, as they should be. On the other hand, I think it's good for the U S to lose, you know, a couple games here and there. It humbles them a little bit and, and it makes them know that they're not invincible and, that these are real good teams they're playing against, even against Spain. Um, it was a one nil result, but um, yeah, they did play a lot better, but I just don't, I don't, I don't have, I'm not worried too much about, about them in, uh, in the world cup. Uh, when it gets into the later stages uh, France is a good team and they're going to have their country behind them. And boy, that win was great. That win was great for France because, you know, there was like 23,000 people in that little stadium that's a stadium that the U.S. women's national team will play in, in in their group stage. So it was great for them to simulate that that environment of that World Cup environment in the same stadium that they'll be playing in in, in June, um, in January, you know, so that's great. Uh, but for the French team, French fans and stuff to get behind their team after the men won the World Cup and now here come the women and they just beat the number one team in the world. I mean, that's great. And that's just great for the sport. Uh, so that's that's fantastic, and and when the World Cup comes around this summer, we're going to see teams like England and France, and even Germany, Japan. Uh, they're all going to they're all going to be fighting for this title, and it's it's going to be fun to watch. Sweden, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. So, but... well, I, after the uh, the World Cup ended last summer, um, I don't know. I saw something on social media, and you know, people are sort of in mourning and. Uh, I reminded a few folks that, you know, hey, hey guys and gals, like it, uh, another World Cup is not exactly. that far off. So, you know, before you, uh, uh, you know, uh, sort of lose your mind or whatever that, um, yeah, I mean, the, the Women's World Cup is uh, arguably as exciting, if not more exciting than the Men's World well, Cup. And, time. So it should well, be. Well, and uh, remember yeah. the 2015 Women's yeah. World Cup final, and that was the one where Carly, Carly had that hat trick and that that midfield goal, that USA versus Japan, that was the most watched soccer event in the history of American television. So, um, you know, it's the, mm -hmm. the fans, I mean, even, even if you're only watching the women, the women's team every four years, they're going to give you a good show. Gonna, it's going to be entertaining. So. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, so something that I like to ask uh, all the folks that come on the, uh, the on the touchline podcast. Um, so what are we doing right and what are we doing wrong when it comes to, in this case, women's soccer in the U.S.? Mm. Um, well, as a as a marketing person, uh, as a market, someone who's been in marketing for over 20 years, I, I would say what we're doing wrong is I, I think that we're not marketing women's soccer like we should. Um, that might be a different perspective of things. But, um, you know, when you look at this, con the, con the past CONCACAF tournament that they had, which is, was the World Cup qualifier, you look up in those stands and there's nobody there. To me, that's, you know, what? It's the same thing. It's like, take me back to 2011 when I walked in that press box and saw nobody. I'm like, what's going on? And it has to do with marketing. You know, our, is the Federation getting the word out? Are they advertising? Are they taking out ads in mainstream papers or magazines or online? Are, are they getting these players on talk shows and drumming up, you know, some excitement? Um, those are some of the things that I, I, I could think of. Um, you know, there's some teams that do it better than others. You know, in the, talking about the NWSL in this country. Uh, so, I, you know, what we're doing wrong, I, I, I think we can do marketing a little bit better. Uh, I don't know that anybody would really argue that because they're, I mean, I'll tell you what, I, I went to Seattle last year and I, I went for a, to watch the Seattle rain play, which is the NWSL team. And every store I went into that sold sports memorable, you know, any Seattle sports stuff, of course they had Seahawks stuff everywhere. Um, I'd ask, mm -hmm. um, they even Sounders, you know, Mariners. I walk in, I'd say, do you have any Seattle rain gear? And it, it, Oh, for oh, I mean, I was just like nobody, nobody. Funny because one 
I went into one store and I asked, hey, do you have any Seattle rain? And the lady was like, oh, we only sell their stuff on game day. And I'm like, really? Well, today is game day. <laughs> wow. Uh, so wow. a different story. Um, yeah, I was really, really discouraged by that. And I thought, well, you know, how much of this is the on the NWSL? How much of the, their budget is going to market these teams? And I know like a team like Seattle Rain, that's an independent team. You know, they're not affiliated with an MLS team. They play in a really old stadium in Memorial Stadium, which is about 72 years old. It's a high school stadium. Um, you know, so what, what is the league doing for, for them, you know, um, as an independent team? So, uh, you know, things like that um, just really gets discouraging. Now, the teams that are uh, like now that you go to Portland, that's another story, right? Because the, um, the Thorns play uh, in the same stadium as the, the Timbers, and they have a huge following. So I th- I'm sure I haven't been to Portland yet, but I'm sure if you go into any store in Portland, they probably have a ton of thorns gear and stuff. So, um, you know, if, uh, they're getting backing from M- M- their MLS team as affiliates. So that helps. So marketing, definitely. What we're doing right, I think, um, hmm, um, I'm really happy about the league. I mean, I know people, uh, you know, there's a, plenty to complain about with the NWSL, but they're the longest running professional women's soccer league in this country ever. Uh, and they're doing it, you know, grassroots style, bare boned. So I, I think, I think I'm going, well, you know, they're doing stuff wrong with the marketing, but they are, there are some things that they're doing right. As far as, uh, their TV coverage, you know, uh, the, a few years ago, they, um, uh, lifetime picked them up for their game. Some people were complaining, you know, lifetime, you know, what's this, the dance moms and women's soccer, what? <laughs> but uh, they forget that back, like, uh, geez, I don't even remember, it was like 1998, I think, when WNBA uh, launched. They launched yeah. on Lifetime as well. Yeah. So, you know, now they're on ESPN and NBA channel and all that stuff. So, you know, they have to start somewhere. So I, I think that they're what they're doing is uh, is good in that respect. I also like the fact that they're not rushing to get expansion teams. Everybody wants a team in their city, right? Guys, well, let's you know, LA needs a team, New York needs a team. It's like they've kind of stepped back from that and not tried to make this league bigger than it, you know, top heavy like we've seen in, in the past leagues, WPS and WUSA. You know, they tried to grow too fast too soon. So it seems like they're taking little steps and taking their time and it seems like it's it's working because it's still here and they just got a pay increase and they have a uh for non-allocated players they have a players association which is fantastic um so there's it you know it's it's growing but it's growing very slowly now if they had a better marketing campaign <laughs> and it really take mm-hmm. off you know <laughs> well i i had told someone recently that um you know it, it's entirely possible that two things can be true at the same mm-hmm. time but those two things actually be in direct contrast of each other and patty i think you nailed it because um i agree with you i think the the marketing of the nwsl could be a thousand percent better however the fact that we have all the things that you named and uh you know yeah that i can sit with my kids and watch on lifetime and, and enjoy a match um because we've done that mm-hmm. and uh yeah you, you know in so I, I i've told other people this too that the access to soccer in this country has never been better um because you know is a is a kid born in the 80s I didn't have that, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I would tell people that there was soccer before World Cup 94, everybody, you know, like this just <laughs> in, right? Um, but sure as hell couldn't right. find it on TV and, uh, you know, had to look long and hard and got to college and, you know, some of, you know, was friends with uh, guys and gals on the, the men's and women's soccer team at the college I went to. And, you know, they're telling me they support these teams in England and abroad. And I'm looking at them like, where, where did you learn about that? You know, not even thinking that anything like that could even be possible uh, here in the U.S. So, yeah, I mean, I think we've come a long way. But, you know, just because we've gotten to this place doesn't mean we stop. And uh, it takes folks like you and, you know, what we're trying to do with this podcast and what you're doing on your podcast. And, 
you know, just that continuous beat mm-hmm. of the drum to keep, you know, raising people's consciousness that, like, look, like, we're not going to accept just, you know, it being mediocre and okay. Like, we want this sport to succeed. You know, we want, I mean, just in the times, I mean, I I tend to be a little critical of the MLS and, you know, the U.S. Mm-hmm. men's team and the U.S. Federation. Um, just because someone's critical of those things doesn't mean that I wouldn't give you know, my right arm for the men's team to win the world Mm. cup. I mean, you know, I I mean, it would be, I mean, it would just be, it would be unbelievable. It would be sort of one of those like bucket list things in my life to say like, Holy smokes that happened. And I was alive to see it, you know? And, and I don't know if I can say that now. I mean, I, I hope I can at some point um, in my lifetime, I see it, but uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, for my kids, I I would want them to see that or whatever. So if uh if folks want to connect with you and connect with your podcast um how can they do that um well you can go on to our website at wwf show that's wwfshow.com and then from there we have the links we're on all the all the podcast apps uh, spotify iHeartRadio, um soundcloud stitcher uh, google play we're on we're on just about every um iTunes uh, podcast app. Uh, also, if you want to connect with us on Twitter, we follow back. We like we like to follow back. So if you follow us, more than likely you'll get a follow back. Uh, and that's at at WWF show. So WWF S H O W and connect with us there. And and yeah, we're we're always happy to talk to people through Twitter. That's basically how we we do have a Facebook page. We have all those things and Instagram. But we really connect with our our listeners and the audience through Twitter, which is the which is the better platform. So. I've, I feel like a broken record when I say this, but um, so- soccer Twitter is pretty mm-hmm. good, and uh, there's uh, there's some really passionate people out there. Um, but I mean, the coaches and the players, and I mean, heck, that's part of how I found you guys, yeah. and you know that that, that led led down the rabbit hole of going in the Instagram and then going to the website and emailing back and forth and, uh, and whatnot. So, yeah, I mean, there's uh, a whole lot of connectivity out there that um, if folks aren't on it, I would highly recommend that they, uh, mm-hmm. they get on it because uh, a lot and, of good stuff. And there, if you want to so. email me, just email me at patty at wwfshow.com. I'm, all, I'm happy to, uh, to write you back. Cool. Well, um, Patty, I can't thank you enough for coming on the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast and um, a tremendously enjoyable conversation. And I think you are a walking resource of knowledge when it comes to the women's game and uh, would love to have you back on at, uh, at various times. And maybe even as it gets a little bit closer to the um, the, the Women's World Cup this summer uh, to, you know, uh, I don't know if we do a, an in-depth break, uh, mm-hmm. breakdown, but um you know, tell people kind of what to look for or what to expect or, or whatever. Yeah, I would love that. And I'm going to take that little um, tidbit that you just, that you just called me a walking encyclopedia knowledge or whatever. I'm going to just play it for Adam because he doesn't, you know, he's... Please do. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to put it on a loop. I'll put it on that a would... loop and just play it back to him yeah. over and over again. Episode 17, almost in the books. My thanks to Patty LaBella for coming on the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. Patty, I wish you and Adam and the Women's World Football Show team continued success and look forward to more and more interviews from you in the future. I uh, would love to have you back on this show as it gets a little bit closer to the Women's World Cup and we could talk more um, uh, about that as it gets closer. Before we go, A massive thank you to all the listeners of this show who have shared the show on social media, who have subscribed to the show, and are helping to support what we're doing here with On the Touchline. I hope you have found our conversations to be valuable. I hope you have found them to be diverse. I hope you have found them to be something a little different than maybe other soccer podcasts that are out there that maybe just recap scores or give you the the weekend update uh, of what happened in some of the leagues around the world. Please, please, please keep it up. And if there's an episode or conversation that resonates with you, 
you can share it out anytime on social media. And when you do that, please use the hashtag on the touchline, all one word, and you can tag me at any time at SoccerCoachJB on Twitter or Instagram. Also should mention the DMs are always open. So if there's ever a topic, if there's ever a guest, if you would like to come on this show, uh, I would love to hear from you, the listener. This show exists to give you, the listener, a glimpse into the lives of the men and women who make up the soccer community, not only in the United States, but throughout the world. In the coming weeks, you'll be hearing from more folks internationally and their experience in the game of soccer, or as we like to say, football. My thanks for listening, and until next time, this has been the On the Touchline podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater. Thank you.